Hey, this is Dan Miller. You're listening to 48 Days to the Work You Love, where each week we deconstruct the success of those who, in fact, do love their work, and we encourage those who are still on the path. And today's sponsor is Audible.com, where they have over 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products. You can get a free audiobook of your choice if you go to audiblepodcast.com slash 48 days. I'll be giving you a specific recommendation in just a few minutes. Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, I want to start right off with a couple tips for you, a couple of resources. Every week we have new resources. If you text to... 33444. Just text 48 days. That's going to give you something every time you do it. Doesn't matter when. So just text 48 days to 33444. This week you're going to get some tips on how to deal with a negative spouse. Five strategies for helping with that. You can also just go to 48days.com slash marriage. We've got some resources lined up there for you as well. That continues to be a really popular topic. Joanna and I have the privilege of of sharing what's worked for us over a whole lot of years. So I'm delighted to do that. Well, here's our theme for today. Get busy living or get busy dying. Now that sounds familiar. It's because I've been using kind of that uh, as a backdrop for promoting the Shawshank event, which just happened just recently up in Columbus, Ohio. I'm sure I'll share a few more details about that as we go on. It was just an over-the-top event. Carrie Oberbrunner and his team, David and the rest of them, just did a magnificent job of putting that together. The experience is pretty much beyond description where we had people go into and and we did as well, went into a cell, individually shut the door, grabbed the bars, think about what is it that's holding you back? And we had people with some pretty profound breakthroughs at identifying what is holding them back. And then we moved on through to how do you create a plan to move forward? I mean, just identifying what's holding you back is not enough. That's a beginning, but then how do you move forward? How do you move forward, identify what it is you're going to do, what are the next steps? So it was an amazing experience. We're still recovering from it because it was uh, exhausting in many ways, but just a delightful time. One day in the prison, the next day at Sparkspace, a creativity center. Mark Henson, great guy who put together, took took, took an old um, paint manufacturing building and turned it into a creativity center has just done a spectacular job. If you ever get a chance to visit that there in Columbus, Ohio, it's certainly worth seeing. Well, here's some questions we're going to be dealing with today. Well, I actually got a, got a big success story too. I want to share with you where Aaron says, thanks for the help. I got a $3,000 scholarship. I'll play his little audio clip here as we move along. Someone says, how do we move from knowledge to understanding? I talk a lot about having knowledge is not enough. We have to go from knowledge to understanding to application. So he wants to know, how do we move from knowledge to understanding? And we'll, we'll talk about that. Dan, how can I get people to take me seriously without a degree? 
All right. The people I want to coach don't have any money. I'm a working mother, but I don't enjoy my job at all. Did I make a mistake in getting out of the way of the train? Well, great questions as always. We'll have fun unpacking those and discovering some principles that can help all of us move to higher levels of success. Now, here's our quotation. It's just an expansion on what I already shared with you as the theme. It comes down to a simple choice, really. Get busy living or get busy dying. That's that powerful, powerful, poignant scene where Andy Dufresne, played by Tim Robbins, and Red, played by Morgan Freeman, were sitting in the courtyard And Andy was talking about his dream to get out of there, go to Mexico, live on the beach, get a boat, have have a little hotel. And Red saying, you know, it's pretty dangerous to think about that. You know, that just, it's going to mess with your mind. And he talked about the fact that he was institutionalized, you know, that he wouldn't even know how to survive on the outside. Boy, there's some powerful principles in that that we really worked through with some people, people recognizing in the group that went with us to Shawshank who identified themselves as institutionalized, saying they were so used to just a predictable work environment, they didn't think they could ever live with something that gave them more freedom and potentially more income. They were institutionalized. Oh, what a scary kind of thing to do. Now, one, one of the things too, and I hadn't anticipated sharing this, but it just fits. One of the things that we really talked about that was so profound was the importance of having somebody who believes in you. Now, certainly some of those who identified the prison holding them back identified, you know, parents who disowned her or somebody who criticized her or somebody who was a victim of, of abuse. I mean, certainly those kind of things. But then on the flip side, people identified there was somebody who believed in me who's calling me to be my very best self. Now, without that somebody, it can be a very dangerous place. So why we talk about so much about relationships here, not only marriage relationships, but just supportive relationships. You become the average of the five people we spend the most time with. We talk about that old Jim Rohn quote. You know, it's very important who we spend time with. But in the movie Shawshank, Brooks was released from prison after spending most of his adult life there. And if you remember that very painful part where he just decided life wasn't worth living, he couldn't adapt to the outside. He had been institutionalized. And so he hung himself. Now red Morgan Freeman's character was released after 40 years in prison. He was working at menial job as a checker at the grocery store. And he thought, you know what? I need to just take the same path as Brooks did. I need to just end this. I'm not going to survive on the outside. I need to just end this and acknowledge that I can't make it on the outside. And then he remembered Andy had said, I could really use a guy like you, a guy that knows how to get things done. A guy that knows how to find things. When I'm going to be down there on the beach in Mexico, I could use a guy like you. And he thought, you know what? I do have a purpose. I do have a reason for going on. And he continued on. And of course, I hope you've watched the movie. We've watched it many times. Just a, a powerful, powerful scene where he follows that one little bit of hope provided to him by one person who believed in him. One person who was saying, yes, you can do it. Well, I hope you are that person for somebody. I hope you're that person who encourages one other person, calls them forward, calls them to be their very 
best self. What an opportunity, what a privilege to do exactly that. Well, let me read some success stories. Do you hear? Got lots of things happening. Incidentally, there's another piece that I want to just throw in here. This is just a teaching piece that came out of some of the things that I did at, at Shawshank. But I get a lot of questions around this area. And we sometimes look at people who are really great at doing something and just assume, well, gee, they're, they're really talented. You know, they're just a natural born, whatever it is, golfer, basketball player, dancer, singer. We could go on and on. Well, that's not the way that talent is really developed. Talent is something that we develop. You know, having our zone of genius, that sweet spot where I talk about it's that perfect blend of passion, talent, and money for you. When those things come together, we can call that your calling, your mission, your purpose, your destiny, or like I often refer to it as your zone of genius. That genius is not a matter of genetics. It's in the realm of education, intention, focus, and practice. It's something you develop. Now, here's a short story to kind of frame that for you. Bill Bradley, you remember him as an awesome, awesome basketball player. Well, he got a key to his high school gym when he was just a freshman in in high school. He started practicing by himself for three and a half hours a day, every day, of course, except Saturday. Now, I know what you're thinking. Of course, Saturday just messed around. No, he practiced three and a half hours a day, except Saturday. Saturdays, he practiced eight hours. While all his buddies were going to the mall and watching TV, Bill Bradley was practicing. He put 10-pound weights on his ankles so it would naturally increase his jump shot in a real game. He put on glasses that he made for himself, and then he put cardboard on the bottom so he couldn't see the ball when he was dribbling. Forced him to control the ball without looking at it. He set up chairs and practiced dribbling around them. That's the way we develop talent. And you, you... you get the brain you earn, not even the brain you're born with. You can train it to be really, really good at something. Now, was Bill Bradley lucky? Yeah, sure. He was offered 75 college scholarships for full rides. He declined them all to attend Princeton University, where in 1965, he was the NCAA Player of the Year. Uh, when they finished, Princeton finished third, not a big basketball school, That's where he wanted to go, and he was still named Most Valuable Player. Played his entire uh, basketball career with the New York Knicks, winning two championship titles. He's the author of seven nonfiction books, Uh, one of those being We Can All Do Better, great book I would recommend. But when he hit the college and professional ranks, people stood back in awe. They said, oh, my gosh, he's a genius. He's just so naturally gifted at basketball. Well, don't be seduced by this myth of genius. You can be a genius at the things you want to do. I mean, you can increase your success exponentially. But to have the results that only 5% of the people experience, you have to be willing to do what only 5% of the people are willing to do. That's the way you become a genius. That's the way you become talented. Put in the time put in that kind of dedication, you start, God gives us all the seed of a talent. And that's really what it is. Nothing comes full blown. You develop it and you can do that. Somehow I just needed to add that in that piece about talent. It comes up frequently and um, we, we need to be reminded of how talent is developed. Well, this comes from Gray who says, Dan, I'm still working on the advice you gave me a couple weeks ago, but I'm certainly living a success. 
I recently switched jobs from a corporate retail setting to a small business setting and have managed to double my income. No pay raise, just more hours than the corporate job ever gave me. And the family I work for treats me a whole lot better. Here's to listening to podcasts, reading books, and actually taking the initiative when an opportunity presents itself. I think I doubled my income in less time than your challenge allots for as well. Sending some sunshine your way, Gray. Well, thanks for sharing that, Gray. What a what a great story about being able to do that. Okay, I want to play this for you. I'm going to move very quickly into some questions here, but I want to play this little clip. It comes from Aaron Haggard. Now, if you remember that name a few weeks ago, he shared that he was trying to win a scholarship. And, um, well, I'll, I'll have him share here. Listen to this. Hi, Dan. This is Aaron Haggard. Just reaching out to say thank you so much. A few episodes ago, you let your audience know that I was trying to win a scholarship to the Institute for the Psychology of Eating. And I'm just here to let you know that I won second place, which means $3,000 off my tuition. Thank you, Dan, so much. I can't wait to get started on my career as a coach. And thank you, 48days.net community, for all of your love and support. If I can ever serve you or help you in any way, please just ask. You know, we're going to go from that right into this just to celebrate the success stories. Lots of them out there. We love hearing those. You got a story to send us where we can celebrate your success here? Certainly do that. I love that from Aaron. Now, what we did was we simply encouraged people to go to that website, go to the YouTube video he put up and vote for him. Well, a whole lot of you did that. and got him a $3,000 scholarship. What a great thing for all of us to celebrate because we were allowed to participate in that. Well, you can send your story. Just go to the 48 Days site. Click on Ask Dan. You can submit your story right there, or you can just send it to askdan at 48days.com. Now, I want to give you a book recommendation. Our sponsor today is audible.com. I want to give you a book recommendation. I put out there all the time, if you want to change your level of success, I don't know of a quicker way to do that than to read or to listen to great books. Now, we've got some questions today, some comments that come from people who are doing extremely well financially. And the book that I want to recommend to you is The Millionaire Mind by Dr. Thomas Stanley. It is awesome. It's been around a while, but I, I'd probably go back to it. i probably go back to it at least once a month just to reference something in there. It's that profound as a reference for how do people think? What are the characteristics of people who end up as millionaires? One of the top characteristics is they're doing exactly what they love doing. Also very, very high on the list is integrity as a personal characteristic. They have a lot of integrity, but if you go to audiblepodcast.com slash 48 days, you can get a free audio copy of the millionaire mind by Thomas Stanley. If you're not yet a member, just keep in mind, audible has again, over 180,000 Audio programs, they've had all those really cool features, like you can do a 30-second rewind. I do that a lot when I'm listening to audio programs. I think, wait a minute, what did you just say? You know, and when you're listening to something, your mind can go off in something else, and all of a sudden you hear something really important. You think, whoa, what was that again? Well, you can back up when you're listening to your Audible book. So check it out, audiblepodcast.com slash 48 days. Now, this comes from Renee, who says, I'm 49 years old. 
I host the PM Chats podcast, non-monetized, of course, and I earn a great living doing IT strategic planning in county government. We just had a reorgan. I'm a high risk for being laid off in the next 12 to 24 months. The curse of being a strategic partner. You can see these things coming. I just signed up for the coaching with excellence and I'm looking forward to creating a 12 to 24 month transition plan to move out of government and into my own business. My question after leaving the coaching with excellence program, I want to make sure that I'm held accountable for my actions. What are the advantages of hiring my own coach versus starting a mastermind group? Well, Renee, we're going to discuss that at length when you are here and we're going to help you lay out all those next steps. Now, when you're here for coaching with excellence, we're going to invite you into the coaching with excellence group on 48 days.net. If you get involved with the mastery group, there's another closed group just for them. They share what they're doing. That's working. So we're going to give you a whole lot of options. Now, am I a fan of hiring your own coach or starting a mastermind group? Yes, both of those. I'm, I'm, I don't want you to make a choice. This, that's one of those and solutions. But we'll cover that and a whole lot more. Now, most of our coaches have coaches who are coaching them. Now, this may seem almost redundant. Seems like I'm talking in circles, but no, I'm not. I mean, if I ever stop learning and growing and being coached, I show up over here at the sanctuary, dig a six foot hole and just shove me in and push the dirt in. I mean, I'm not going to be of continuing value and increasing value to people. If I stop being coached myself. So certainly we, we encourage that. And all of our successful coaches know that principle. Well, well, Chaz says, hi, Dan, you talk a lot about the three-step process of knowledge, understanding, and application. The knowledge and application steps seem clear cut and dry. We need to gather useful information, then take massive action to apply that information. But as we approach that middle step of understanding, what can we do to improve our ability to walk through the process? Does understanding seem like something that just automatically happens along the way? Or do you have some advice on what we can actually do to improve our understanding and therefore improve our application and results? Thank you for your encouragement for being a leader in creativity, critical thinking, and problem solving. Well, Chaz, I love your question. You know, understanding, yeah, that critical part in between knowledge and application comes from practice. It almost may seem like application. I think you have to, you know, get in the game somehow to really prove that you understand. So if you're getting knowledge about investing, I mean, buy something on eBay, sell it on Amazon. Or if you want to study the value of old silver, buy a few pieces at yard sales, then put them on eBay or Craigslist. If you want to learn more about car values, I mean, study those, but then go to a repo auction in your town and buy a car I mean, check it out and park it in your front yard. I mean, I've, I've done that lots and lots of times, but you get involved. I mean, help your kids by going to the Franklin conservatory in Columbus, Ohio, like we did on Saturday after Shawshank. I mean, they'll learn more about butterflies in one hour there than by a whole semester of reading textbooks. There are a lot of things that you can do that move you through that understanding part. But it has to go beyond just thinking, just head knowledge, just reading or listening. Whatever you can do to start working toward that application is a really important principle. I read something just yesterday. It's just a funny piece by Conan O'Brien who said, I just taught my kids about taxes by eating 38% of their ice cream. 
I cracked up when I saw that. That's a real life principle to understand in reality what it means to be taxed, to have to pay taxes. I just sent a a very, very large check to the IRS this morning. Uh, I didn't cringe. Uh, I have to admit it gives me pause, but I'm, but I'm grateful to be in a position where that's expected of me. But yeah, we need to teach our kids how to, how that's going to feel. And that's a great example. Eat 38% of their ice cream. They'll know what it's, what it's like to be an adult and be taxed on the money that you make. Well, Paul says, now this is his really lead in question. He says, how do I become an expert without a college degree? Well, we could just park there all day long and just sit on that one. Paul says, thanks for all, for all your generosity. Uh, Dan, my dream is for my wife and me to have our own coaching practice with a hint of psychology counseling. I'm working on getting my wife through college. I was thinking about going back myself and getting a master's in psychology. I can't swing that right now, however, because of finances and time. How do I start becoming an expert in psychology without a degree? How do I study to become a coach now? How can I get people to take me seriously without a degree? Well, Paul, this is one of those where I would encourage you, like we always do, where do you want to be three years from now? What is it that you want to be doing? If you want to be working in a psychological clinic or you want to be working for the government or in an academic institution, you know, as a counselor, then you need to get a degree in psychology. It's just part of the proven path. However, can you become an expert? Can you be taken seriously without a college degree? Well, sure you can. I mean, a lot of our coaches now, we're just getting ready to have another coaching with excellence event here. And if you're interested in that, uh, we're all full for this year but you can start looking at the events scheduled for 2016 and register for one of them then. But we have people come to those who are former CEOs of businesses, people who are salespeople, people who are stay at home moms, people who have been teachers, a lot of variety of backgrounds that people come into that space where they say, I want to be a coach. And of course, my question always is if you want to be a coach, are people coming to you now asking for your advice and opinion in that area? If they are, we can probably help position you as a coach. If they're not, we'll probably need to look at some other options for you career wise, but be that as it may, again, if people are coming to you, Paul, asking for your advice and opinion, can you be taken seriously without a degree? Yes, absolutely. What people look for are results. When people come to me, I just had a couple guys come and spend a day with me, paid me an enormous amount of money to come spend one entire day with me because they just wanted to talk, talk to me about their business, how to grow their business. They wanted me to share some of the things that I've done successfully in 48 days. Now they didn't ask me where I got my degrees, what credentials I had, what certification I had, nothing. I have no idea if they did any research in that at all. But what they did do is look at people who have already been exposed to 48 days, people who have already been here, people that I've already had the privilege of working with. Maybe they heard an interview. Maybe they listened to the podcast. I mean, do you who listen to the podcast, do you ask yourselves, wow, I wonder what degrees Dan has that would make me want to listen to him? I doubt that any of you are asking that. And there's probably a, a few, and I'm happy to share those things if it's important, but that's not what people look at. And it's certainly not what people look for in a coach. 
Marshall Goldsmith is probably the preeminent life coach right now. He has clients like the new CEO of Ford Motor Company. I don't know what degrees he has. I've never seen him promote that as part of telling people who he is or what he does. When he speaks, I've never heard him talk about what degrees that he has. Now, I don't mean to make light of being trained. Yes, you need to be trained, but you can become trained to be a very effective coach because of life experience. Here's an example. Aaron Walker is one of our coaches. You can go to his site, View from the Top, magnificent site, and he is rocking and rolling in coaching. He's very open about what he's done. He was a home builder a year ago, building houses was looking for a change. And I said, Aaron, you ought to be a business coach for all these young entrepreneurs we have showing up here. And he was like, oh man, I, I ain't never been to college. I can't be a coach. I'm like, Aaron, people don't care about that. What they care about is your amazing expertise in how to grow businesses. He had his own pawn shop when he was 17 years old. He wasn't old enough legally to sign the papers to own it, but he owned it. Sold out for millions when, uh, 10 years later when he was 27 years old. Does that expertise lend itself to being taken seriously? Yes, it does. So a lot of what you're asking, Paul, is if you can prove your own success, it models you as being a coach. One of the things that we've got, we've got a plaque hanging out here in the sanctuary where we have our Coaching with Excellence events. And it was given to me by Sutton Parks, who's been here for multiple of our events. And it says on there, the best Wow, what is it? I can't bring it to mind exactly. Uh, The best testimonial or advertisement for being a coach is a life well lived. I've gotten the wording wrong, but it's, it's essentially that. The best message and marketing you can have for being a coach is to be living a life that people want to model yourself. So can you do that? Yes, you can be taken seriously as a coach if you have life experience that positions you to offer something of value to people coming along. Well, here's another quick coaching question. This comes from Sandy. I'm very passionate about coaching and I've been taking some coaching classes through Light University Online. My challenge is I can't seem to move forward with settling on a niche. One area I'm drawn to is coaching younger women, teens to 30. There's such a need at this age to develop wisdom, assisting them with direction, preparing them for relationships, etc., to avoid some of the huge mistakes that can derail their lives. Since this age rarely has the money to invest in coaching, how can I make any money at it? Well, that's a great question, and it's a great broad generalization. Now think about that. When we talk about young women, teens to 30, and we assume they don't have any money for coaching, have you watched that crowd walk through the local mall and they pop in and they buy a new iPhone six, they get a Gucci bag, they buy makeup that cost them 300 bucks. They buy the latest dress. That's $400. They buy a pair of $120 shoes. Why would they not have the money for coaching? It's simply a matter of helping them understand the value that you would bring. If you can convey the value adequately, trust me, they have the money. I mean, I could say the same thing about pastors. We know pastors aren't paid a lot. Typically, we know that a lot of them struggle financially. That is the number two affinity group of people who I've had the privilege of coaching over the years. Number one is dentists. A lot of reasons for that. Number two, 
pastors saying, get me out of this. This is not what I signed up for. You don't want, want to know what my pastoral discount is. I mean, my coaching process, the Eagles club, let's take that as an example. That's typically what I do. As a matter of fact, I'm just starting with a new pastor this afternoon as I'm recording this brand new pastor, the coaching process, $4,800. Guess what my discount for pastors is zero. There's nothing. Now, I don't want to be hard nosed about that, but it just, if they recognize the value, I don't think I've ever had a pastor ask me for a discount. They just know what it is. They've talked to other people. They've seen the success that other people have had and working through that coaching process. And they say, when can I get in? That's the way to don't generalize in thinking that your target audience doesn't have the money for coaching. Believe me, your job is to convey clearly the value in that. I mean, that's any salesperson is, is confronted with that. If you go in and you're selling water filters and you knock on somebody's door and they say, nah, we don't want one. After you've done your sales presentation, you haven't done a really great job in your sales presentation. Don't just convince yourself that the people who live in this community don't have any money. Look in the mirror and ask that person that you see why they're not doing a better job of conveying the value of having that water filter. That's what it boils down to. The same thing is true in coaching. John says, thanks for the fantastic podcast about the 48 days to the work you love audio version and ready to take the leap. I like many of your list. I like many of your listeners have a good job. My skill set is an engineering consumable sales. I have a tool making background. I've been successful in my sales career and always knew I could do this working as my own company, but I'm unfulfilled in my current position. I'm not sure if this is because I know deep down that although I'm paid great money, I know it will never give me the life and freedom I crave. I have an opportunity to start a business identical to what I'm doing now. My real passion, though, is music, and I always, as a child, wanted my own guitar shop. Unfortunately, with the online age, guitar shops are really profitable. Help. <laughs> well, you, you threw in some zingers there, John, um, that went beyond your original question. You know, could you move from doing what you're doing now into doing it the same thing in your own business? Well, it sounds like you're well-positioned to do that. And if you want to take on the additional challenges of running your own business, do that. But be clear, there's certainly no shame in being a, a highly paid sales professional for another organization. A lot of salespeople make that critical mistake of moving from a position where they're being paid well into their own business, where now 80% of what they're doing is not out there selling, which is what they do well, but now they're forced to do all the administrative things, budgeting, forecasting, dealing with vendors, dealing with employees. I mean, those things add a whole lot of other components beyond just selling well and selling well are the most highly desired, the most profitable, the most easily transferable skills that there are. So don't move yourself into a position where then you only get to sell 15% of the time and 85% of the time doing other things. Be careful about that. Now, when you say your real passion is music, you always wanted your own guitar shop. Well, don't just throw that out. If you really want to build something there, I mean, I have a friend who was doing exactly that. He had a little shop where he repaired stringed instruments. Well, then he realized that there were major guitar manufacturers right here in Nashville who were getting rid of a lot of inventory that didn't meet their quality control requirements. So he could buy essentially an unlimited number of guitars that were rejected as seconds. 
Now, he would take the manufacturer's name off. So if it's Gruen or Gibson or whatever, he would take the name off. But he was buying those for like 10 cents on a dollar. Well, if he bought 10 of those, he may be able to have four where he could repair them and make them really good instruments. So he would sell those and he sells them primarily online. But he moved from making thirty to $40,000 a year as a guitar repairman to making three to $400,000 a year selling these guitars, everybody knowing their seconds, but they're still really high quality instruments. He sells them. He uses eBay to let people know about it, then leads them into his store. But he's been doing that for years, year after year after year at this point. So again, don't, don't so quickly just sweep that out the door thinking it's impossible. Do it in a creative way. Look for opportunities that other people don't see. But again, there's no shame in just being a very highly compensated sales professional if you're doing that. Well, this comes from Nasha from Pretoria, South Africa. Thank you for your awesome site. I'm a working mother, but don't enjoy my job at all. I know I'm in the wrong place and I'm planning to start my own business on the side. What I want to know is, do you have coaches in South Africa? I don't know how to link up to promote your material in my community and schools. I love working with young people. No, God has given me, uh, given me different talents and gifts. I want to be a motivational teacher to help young people with different life issues. Well, let me kind of, there's a whole lot more from her. Thank you for your, your question. I have a passion, but I realize I also need to make money from it. As far as us having coaches in South Africa, yes, we do. But here's how we match coaches up. We don't match coaches up based on geography. So if you call me and you say that you are a youth pastor and you're considering moving from that into having a business of your own, how do you make that transition? Wow. That identifies perfectly with Kent Julian, who went through that transition himself moving from being a youth pastor into a very, very successful coaching and speaking business that he has today. So we would match you up with him. He lives in just outside of Atlanta. It doesn't matter if you live in Seattle or Paducah or Miami or New York, we're going to match you with him because we match based on competency of the coach and need of the person, not on geography. So yes, we could match you with a coach, not a problem at all. doesn't matter where you live. doesn't matter on different continents like that. Not at all. So if you go to 48days.com, just click on the coaching tab. You'll see a quick little questionnaire there. Fill that out. We'd be delighted to match you up with four or five coaches and you can choose who you'd like to work with to help you get up and running. And of course, we have a lot of information that lends itself to what you're asking here as well uh, to know how to work with others, how to coach, lots of information on how to coach others. This comes from uh, Stephen, who says, it's a golden opportunity, but where do I go from here? Now, this is very lengthy. I got to glance over this and just pull out some tidbits here. He says, I'm 22 years old, graduated last December with degrees in both math and statistics. Immediately after graduation, one of my professors at my university, okay, what happens? One of the professors had offered him a position. So he's working, making $20 an hour. So it's pretty easy work, but it's not really his passion. So what, what he's looking at is, you know, how to move beyond that. Now think about that. Just coming out, just graduating and getting a job, $20 an hour. That's going to be what? That's 20, about $22,000 a year. I mean, 40, $42,000 a year. That's not bad for a first job. 
Yeah, don't take that lightly. And Stephen kind of apologizes for complaining about that, but wants to really move into something else. Now, he's got a degree in math and statistics. Now, Stephen, you go on with your question. You've been looking for other jobs. And what you've done is you're now studying for the Series 65 exam, which would place me as a registered investment advisor with the state of North Carolina. I believe that's the most ethical option for dealing with clients. I believe it's the main qualification I would need. I also have a little over $10,000 saved up. I can use to start a business from my perspective. That gives me three main choices for my goal. Start a business before I have the certification and take the risk of possibly low client numbers, find a job to sustain me until I get the certification, then start or work both a job and the advisory business until the latter gains ground. Do you have any advice for me on which option to take? Am I setting up a false dilemma here? Well, I understand you're 22 years old, just in your first job. You're eager beaver, ready to go, ready to grow, ready ready to make more money and all of that. But having a background in math and statistics, and now you're saying that you want to do move into financial advising. Well, it would seem like that's a natural connection, but I really question whether it is because typically people who are good in math and statistics are very analytical, very calculate, very cautious, move very slowly, not impulsive, and are on the other end of the spectrum from what we would expect in salespeople. When you talk about getting your Series 65 exam credentials, that's going to position you you to be an investment advisor. You know what that means? You're a salesperson. It doesn't mean that you really understand the markets well, blah, blah, Yeah, there's going to be a component of that, but the primary focus, I mean, 90% of your success is going to be based on your ability to sell, not based on your knowledge about the financial markets. Now, that may seem tough to get your head around, but be realistic about that. If you want to position yourself as a salesperson, then learn how to sell well, and you will be a candidate for thousands of different opportunities in any industry that you want to go into. But I suspect you're hanging on to your math and statistics background thinking you'll just leverage that. And I think you're setting yourself up for a big disappointment because you better be sure that you really have the skills necessary to be a class, a professional salesperson. That's what you're moving toward here. And um, yeah, I think you'd be, I think there's some red flags in what you're laying out. I commend you on being young and eager and doing exploring like you are, but, um, and being, putting yourself in that position may be a great stepping stone to something else, maybe a great learning experience, but I think you're in for some real surprises and moving in the direction for being an investment advisor. Now what you're talking about there. Yeah. And when you talk about wanting to help people with financial counseling, there's a couple of ways that people do that. Typically one is just fee for services where somebody sits down with you and you advise them and they pay you. That's a really tiny, tiny percentage. That's tough for most people to make work. What most people do who had call themselves financial advisors, they're really selling products. They're selling mutual funds, investment tools and all that. So they're salespeople. Just be realistic about what the options are there. Chris says, Dan, thanks for your inspiration. I have a question that may help others, although it's too late for me. Goodness. Since 2008, I've been through four major reorganizations that would have all resulted in a layoff. Rather than wait around for the X to fall, I changed jobs. 
after the last reorganization. I decided to work contract positions until I find the perfect company. During my job search, I've been told by three separate recruiters this month that it would have been better had I waited to be laid off and that having four different positions that I voluntarily left in five years is a huge red flag. Even after explaining the situation, did I make a mistake in getting out of the way of the train or should I have stuck around and gotten hit all four times? Well, be careful about these generalizations of recruiters who are telling you that it was a wrong move. I don't agree with that at all. If you knew things were changing and you elected to change, I mean, when you look at the average tenure for somebody in the job being about two years in length at this point, those in their twenties are changing jobs every 13 months. I mean, if you're young and you change jobs four times in five years, that's not a red flag, depending on what it is that you're doing. As a matter of fact, if you had stayed and just stayed until you got bumped, I mean, some people would have questioned that. Wow. Why didn't you see the writing on the wall and take the initiative and move? So I think you can really show initiative in what you've done. I think you can work to your advantage. Just be confident that it can. Don't say it's too late for you. I don't think that you've done. I don't think you've committed a fatal flaw at all. I think you can explain what you have done and continue to move forward. But now be careful about just using those recruiters as the primary part of your job search. I mean, those people are going to think very traditionally. They're going to want to just try to put you into another position that duplicates what you've most recently been doing. You may want to switch gears. You may want to redirect or realign. You keep yourself in the driver's seat in this process and you don't need to make apologies for those last four changes at all. Okay. Here's a comp. This comes from uh, Brian who says I'm in the middle of a job search. It could end in relocating. Our current cost of living is very low and will increase upon relocating. My wife and I don't want to be blindsided by a significant increase in expenses. Some living factors are easy to research online, but others are not. Do you know of any good resources that help with cost of living comparisons? Yes, I do. Now, what I did, I went to, I'll I'll tell you this, and I'm just going to tell you it because it's going to be hard for you to remember URL specifically, but go to salary.com. If you go to salary.com and then click on work and life, there are several tabs that click on work and life. And then the first thing under that is cost of living calculator. Now, what I did is I put in working in Nashville, Tennessee, which is where I am. I put in, if I make $40,000 here, how is that going to be affected if I move to Seattle? And it came back immediately. The cost of living in Seattle, Washington is 32.9% higher than in Nashville, Tennessee. Therefore, you would have to earn a salary of $53,154 to maintain your current standard of living. So I'd have to go from 40000 to 53000 if I moved from Nashville to Seattle, and that wouldn't give me any more real increase, bottom line. However, employers in Seattle, Washington, typically pay 13.1% more than employers in Nashville. Therefore, if you take the same type of job in the same type of company in Seattle, you're likely to be paid $45,244 anyway. Well, I love those kind of things. But if you need, if you're going to move and you want to know how that's going to impact your salary, certainly you can do exactly that. Okay, I'm going to, I'm going to go to just one more here because it's really interesting. This comes from Bill. Bill says, my business is growing like crazy. I'm making more money than I ever have in my life. A hundred thousand plus per month. My wife and I have far more money than we need to live on a monthly basis. How do you stay motivated when you really don't need any more money? 
I enjoy what I do, but it's hard to get excited to grow my business when any new money I, I make won't change my lifestyle in any meaningful way, and I'll be taxed at 39% by the government. Any advice you could offer would be greatly appreciated. Enjoy the show. Whoa, love it. Love the question. Now, here's the deal. We dealt with this some of the Shawshank, or Escaping Shawshank event. This, the impact of money. One of the quotations that Kerry um, Oberbrown had in there, and it comes from Jim Rohn, who says, pity the man who inherits a million dollars and who isn't a millionaire. Here's what would be pitiful if your income grew and you didn't. Here's another quote from Jim Rohn. After you become a millionaire, you can give away all your money because what's important is not the million dollars. What's important is the person you have become in the process of becoming a millionaire. That's the really important thing. Money doesn't change your character. It just reveals it. I mean, money doesn't ruin you, make you a horrible person. It just reveals the person you already are. So people who are greedy, jealous, envious, thoughtless toward others, they don't turn into saints when they get money. They're jerks. People who are generous, thoughtful, and considerate, they don't become evil people when they get money. They're more of that. So, wow, what a blessing to know that you're making so much money, way beyond what you need, and you're questioning whether you're even motivated to make more. I would say continue. Yeah, continue doing that. If you've been given the talent to do that, I think you have a, a steward responsibility, stewardship responsibility from God to do that, to use that talent wisely. Don't be like the dude in the Bible who was given one and then he just buried it because he had all he needed and he got a serious reprimand. No, having a gift of making money is a talent that we need to steward responsibly. So continue doing that, but then in doing so, find ways to be generous. I mean, recognize the opportunity that that gives you to give and to help and to serve. I mean, you can invest in real estate. I mean, take the million dollars that you've got and turn it into 50 million. I mean, that's a responsible thing to do. Don't apologize. And again, golly, go to audiblepodcast.com 48 days, get a copy of the millionaire mind. If you're thinking you'd like to be in a position like Bill, where you have more money coming in a hundred thousand dollars a month, more money coming in than you could possibly get that book. You'll see how money helps reveal who you are, but it's a continuing process of developing character developing generosity. It doesn't matter if you make $10 a month or $100,000 a month. We can continue developing, becoming the people that we want to be. Great questions. Golly, love it as always. Love the questions coming in. You can submit those. Just go to 48days.com. Click on Ask Dan. You'll have an opportunity there to submit your question. Love to integrate it. Get it into the mix for an upcoming show. And thanks for being part of this amazing community where we are generous and giving, where we lift each other up, link arms to help each other go to higher levels of success. Love the stories like Aaron, who got a $3,000 scholarship because a whole bunch of us went there and supported him in what he was trying to do to move forward in his own success. So thanks for being part of this organization where we are, in fact, finding or creating work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable. Don't settle for less. You can do it. If you're on the path, let us know how we can help you. 48 days to the work you love.
Take it. The keys are. 